Okay, so over the last little while, we have been talking about faith and finances. We're talking about giving. We're talking about money. And um, I'm really excited to do this. I haven't talked about money a lot over the years. And, um, and yeah, I think it's, it's, it's just, a, it, it is such an important issue. That's for sure. It's a major issue, just period, in our life. And a lot of times I think it's because, you know, in short, we don't want somebody to walk in the door and think that we're, we're all about money because we are certainly not, and that is certainly not the, you know, but, and so I think, kind of shy away from it, but it's, but it's, it is such an important thing, and anyway, um, I want to touch on one sh- short, tiny little verse of scripture that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, which gives us a principle, a fundamental principle of God regarding giving, okay, and it, it comes um, Paul writes this thing because he is going from church. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he has been stopping by, and he has let everybody know that he's coming, and he doesn't want to, he, he was kind of in the same, he doesn't want to make a big deal about the money, and so he's letting them know ahead of time, listen, put something together, make it happen. When I get there, I'll pick it up, and this way we don't have to make a big fanfare out of there, and then nobody has to feel under duress, and nobody has to feel as though they're being coerced, or all that kind of stuff, because it's never been, and never should be. Um, the tone of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like, it should never have that kind of, you know, pressure. Pressure in, in any respect. Pressure to be saved or pressure to do something. Maybe pressure to, like, watch the children on Wednesday night. That's, that, that, that might kind of, like, skirt that issue a little bit. But I think by the time I get to the, uh, the conclusion of this message this morning, um, the Lord will be speaking to some hearts. I, uh, I think that may very well be the case. So we'll see, we'll see where all that goes because i um, got some, some strong things to say here today about, about all of this. When, when Paul is writing to these people, he gives them a principle having to do with just giving itself. This is it. The point, he says, is this. Whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the, the, the fundamental underlying truth here is that you and I set the tone. You and I set the standard. If I, if I sow bountifully, blessings are coming my way. If I sow sparingly, I will receive less of a, of a um, I will receive a sparing blessing from God. So God is letting me set the standard. Last week we talked about tithe and we got, you know, I went through all those verses of scripture, all that stuff in Matthew chapter 5, which, which makes it very obvious that the standard has been raised in the New Testament, right? You have heard that it was said by them of all time, you, you know, this or that or the other. We talked about adultery and we talked about oaths and we talked about eye for an eye and like five to six different things I think there in Matthew chapter five you have heard that it was said by them of old time you know you shall not um, um, you shall not um, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy but I say unto you love your enemy pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you the whole thing so the standard is raised and when Jesus kicks the whole thing off He uh, says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For I say unto you that until heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or one tittle of the law will pass away until all things are fulfilled. 
And then he goes on to say this, for I, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will no way enter into the kingdom of heaven. So they, these were pretty righteous people. I mean, they were scrupulously righteous. But the point with all that stuff, which was kind of preliminary, was to just basically let us know that um, our whole attitude towards what we are thinking should be our investment into this kingdom, this at, at which is then typified by the fact this local church. For us, it's this, and for people, it's always a local church. You know, the, the, there is a universal church, but it is important to God that we are part of a local church body and that we are an active, functioning part of a local church body. This is where you give. This is where you serve. This is where you help. This is where your abilities, where your, your spiritual gifts, all of these things belong here so that they can begin to be used. Now, it may, it may turn out that any one of us becomes so exceedingly gifted or exceedingly maybe anointed that God will say, I got to get them out of here because I, need, I got a bigger audience for, that, for this particular person's uh, anointing or something like that. That's possible. But at the moment, okay, this is where we are to, you know, be Christians right here and to invest ourselves, right? And so... Um, that kind of gives us a context. We, can, we, we may say that we want to do all kinds of things for God. Well, here it is. And again, that, that would bring us right to Wednesday night and that whole thing. You know, um, I'm surprised that there's not a line of people. Honestly, we'll get, I, I will say a little more about that as time goes along. But the, 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 the standard is being set. And I also like, wanted to say last week, or got into very briefly the Malachi thing, because we have to talk about the Malachi 3 thing about the tithe and God saying to them um, that, uh, you know, you're robbing me. How have we robbed you? And we kind of went through the whole tone of that Malachi book and you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. And so, and there's, there's one thing that's really interesting in that statement there that he makes. He says to them, try me out in this thing. Test me and prove me. Now, testing God is forbidden in the Old Testament. If you think of when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, um, Satan says to him, he takes him up to, the, to a pinnacle of the temple. It's a very high spot in the temple. And Satan says to him, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you to, to hold you up, lest you somehow dash your foot upon a stone. So he's tempting him to put God to the test. Okay? And Jesus says, it is also written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And so in, in the Old Testament, they were not to test God. And we're not to test God and try him out see what, to see if he'll do it. However, in this one thing, this one giving thing, this one Malachi thing, there is a, and again, these are principles, we are not under the bondage of the Old Testament covenant and its law and all that stuff, but all of the principles are true. They are, they are as true today as they ever have been. And so he says, try me out of this one thing and see if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven that you will not have room enough to receive the blessing that I pour out on you. I didn't make this up, right? This is God saying to his people, try me out. See if I'm not good. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, Right? That means my, my dishwasher won't break down any near, nearly as much, or my car's not going to have problems, or maybe, I don't know, maybe I won't have to put his strings on my guitar as often, or, or all the above, because God will keep an eye. Now, 
on, on all of these things that, that God says, I'll, I'll rebuke the destroyer that comes in. Okay. So anyway, um, I, I wanted to walk that tightrope between not making somebody feel like um, they're under some kind of the bondage of tithe. And the tithe, uh, another thing that, that um, I, I mentioned last week is that the tithe was not really uh, 10%, but it was actually 233 because there was a first tithe for the temple. Then there was, <laughs> some people just went, oh, oh, come on. <laughs> right, so there was the first tithe, that, that's what maintained the priesthood and the temple. The second tithe went to the feasts and the celebrations, because how many have learned in this world, everything takes money? Right? If you live in New Jersey and you don't know that everything takes money, I think somebody ought to wake you up. But I'm sure that you know this, right? It's just, it's just the gospel is free, salvation is free, but the delivery, the production, the presentation of it all costs money, okay? To have a place like this isn't free. We don't have, am I crying? No, I'm not crying. We don't have any hierarchy. I don't have any district superintendent I can write to and say like, hey, we're going to need another $2 million this year. The, the reason we have everything that we have is because people faithfully undertook the responsibility to faithfully steward in their funds and make those funds available to the church. And I want to tell you something. I am, I can, I, I can pinch a nickel till it screams. I'm as cheap, not, not cheap, but I, w I watch every dollar that comes through this place and nothing gets wasted. And everything that we've done, we have shopped and, and worked to make sure that we weren't like throwing money away at all. So that's kind of our part of the whole deal is to be responsible with what you give. And, but your part is, all of, is the giving part, right? And everything that we have is all here because faithful people for the last 33 years have of their own heart, you know, said, okay, and, and usually most of those people, I'll tell you right now, they embraced this concept of tithe. It didn't bother them. Again, I'm not laying it on you as though it was a, a command, but in this passage of Scripture right here, you can see where the heart, I hope you can see, like, what the heart of God is all about. He that sows Sparingly will reap sparingly. He that sows bountifully will reap bountifully. And so, <clears throat> and again, that ap the application of that Old Testament thing. See if, you know, bring, your, bring all the tithe in the storehouse and see if I won't open a blessing to you. Open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing unto you that you do not have room enough to receive. I remember, <clears throat> I remember when um, we had first gotten saved and um, we were out, went right off to Bible college. We were out in Export, Pennsylvania. And um, I remember so praying for my mother and father. Now, they were Catholic, and what, we, what was happening in us, being saved and being born again, like they just really didn't, nobody really understood that at the time. Um, but the Lord had so radically turned our lives around. And, <clears throat> and then we were right off at Bible school, and I remember praying and praying for my mom and dad, not that they were like these deeply lost people. They were church people and everything, but they, they didn't understand this quite yet. And, um, <clears throat> and I think after three years, we came back. We were home in the summertime, and they came to church, and they both lit up, and then they wanted to be baptized. And my pastor asked me if I wanted to baptize my mom and dad. And I remember saying, Lord, 
when you say that you're going to pour out a blessing that I don't have room enough to receive. Now, my mom is still here. My dad went to be with the Lord. Mom, just wave your hand there, would you? <coughs> She's still going strong. <coughs> you wouldn't believe. You wouldn't believe her age. Going strong and still loves the Lord. My mom has, has the Lord's central. But anyway, all along the way, God has poured out blessings that we did not have room to receive. And, and I'm, I am totally confident this isn't going to end. We, we got some momentum going now. And it's happening. This whole thing, when I get up here and, I'm, and, and you hear me giving thanks for what we have, it's because I've been here since day one. I remember when we first got together in my basement with 12 or 15 people. Am I right, Lisa? It was just a small little group of people and our guitars and stuff. And, and, and then here it all is. And, and like we have the nicest place in town. Not that I want to boast in that. But you know what I mean? But God has been incredibly generous and it's paid off. I don't know anybody a dime. It's incredible. It really is. And nobody knows it's incredible more than me. So <clears throat> anyway, we've been trying to like, you know, walk through this whole topic and in, if anything, inspire. The, uh, the last thing I would want to do is guilt trip anybody, coerce anybody, or, you know what I mean? Make anybody feel like, oh, Pastor Steve really laid it hip. No, we, do we have an opportunity? We have an opportunity. That's the way to see the entire church thing in the kingdom of God. And if I want to sow bountifully into it, I'm going to reap bountifully from it. And so I'm setting the standard. That's, <clears throat> that's the kind of tone that we want to take a look at. So we've been talking over the last few weeks about finances and money. Let me take a minute and pray that nobody who throws something at me will actually hit me. <clears throat> okay, Lord, I am so thankful, I really am, for all that you've done and all that you've built and all that you've put together and for every person along the way, <coughs> especially those who have been so faithful with their resources, with their money, with their time, with their talents, their abilities. <clears throat> I'm grateful for everybody who is here now who is doing that, serving and working and giving and helping, because this is what it's for. This was never to be something that was just simply supposed to be like a club. This is a body. This is a dynamic organism, and, it's func and it has a function, which is to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so I want to Thank you for um, things that your word has to say, and I thank you for this time to be able to present your word. Just pray that you will give us um, a heart to hear, our ears to hear it, and a heart to receive it, and, and a will to obey it. I pray this now in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said enthusiastically, Amen. all right, good. <clears throat> so, I'm probably not going too far out on the limb today to say that money is probably a big deal in your life. Can I get an amen on that, right? Um, <clears throat> you probably spend considerable time thinking about money. Maybe you worry about money. Certainly, it is true that almost everybody here spends the bulk of your time throughout the week working for money. I, don't, I, I doubt that if... if um, if they said, listen, we just can't pay anymore, you'd still go to work every day. Say, I just love being here. I can't get enough of this, right? Largely, we work because there's a paycheck involved, and we need that. Um, 
Maybe you worry about money. Maybe you stress over money. You, you certainly spend money. Maybe your spouse spends money. Okay, maybe, this, maybe you fight over money. I looked up on Google the top 10 things that married couples fight about. Okay, we'll start with number 10, the past. This is a message all by itself. We'll have to come back to this one. Days. <clears throat> There's so much going on. Just in this thing, we can, we can certainly make a meal out of this for sure. Okay, but number 10, the past. All right. Number nine, politics. Number eight, religion. Number seven, jealousy. I saw the way that you looked at her. You know, it's, it's funny. If, if there is going to be a person who is going to get my attention, my wife knows she's there before I do. Am I right, my dear? Right? It, and I'm not, I'm not implying that my wife is a jealous person because she's not, because she's completely secure in my love for her, my undying love and affection. Is she writing something down? <laughs> I already prayed about that. (laughs) Okay. Number six, priorities. I want this, but she wants that. And this is going to be, this is a big thing for you. This is such a big thing for you. It's not that big to my Right? Um, Number five, ten things that married couples fight about, or couples fight about. Five, time. I'm always early. She's always late. Okay? Yep. Or intimacy. Or children. Number two, communication, but you know it's coming. According to Google, Google it up, the number one thing that people fight about is money. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in our life. If you're smart regarding money, you'll save money, or at least you'll try to. Living in New Jersey doesn't necessarily make that the easiest thing in the world to do. You give money. And, and even if money isn't the most important thing in your life, and let's hope that it's not, a significant portion of your life revolves around money. It's, it's a centerpiece. It's a big deal. So given that money plays such a central role in our lives, it shouldn't be surprising that the Word of God has a great deal to say about it, and even more particularly about our attitude towards it. Money itself is not good or bad. Money is amoral. It means, you know, it, it, it is neither good nor is it bad. Some people, um, some people think that the Bible says money is the root of all evil. But astute Bible people who are here this morning will know that that's not what the Bible says. What the Bible says is the following. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, money itself is neither good nor bad. Um, Money can only do what you tell it to do. Then it can be used for good purposes or it can be employed for evil purposes. But it can can only do what what you tell it to do. But the Bible says, money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows, okay? So money can bring the, the, the greatest of God's blessing into your life. Money can bring 
innumerable sorrow into your life. We've all heard stories of people that had more money than you, that you, you would say, uh, oh God, you know, give me a chance. You know, like the person who had a t-shirt that said, please God, let me prove to you that winning the lottery will not spoil my character. <laughs> and, but we've, we all know of stories of people and, and money destroyed them. People, you've heard stories of people who won the lottery and, and now all of a sudden every relative, every neighbor, every Tom, Dick, and Harry is contacting them and hassling them. Um, anyway, uh, money is spiritually dangerous to us precisely because we have an enormous capacity to love it. That's the thing. In other words, it, we're not ambivalent towards money, and that's what he's saying. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from their faith. <clears throat> the, uh, the word philargoria is a me- the, the beginning of that um, is phileos, which is the uh, Greek word to love. When we were the Philadelphia church, phileos adelphos, the love of the brothers. That's why Philadelphia is called city of brotherly love. Um, uh, the, the word um, phileos anthropos, get we, from that we get the word philanthropy. Phileos, the love, anthropos, human beings. Um, when pe- uh, that, that. So anyway, the, the point simply being that this word speaks of that kind of love for money, that kind of great affection, that deep, deep fondness. And he says that kind of thing has led many people down a, very, a path that they wish they hadn't gone. <clears throat> Now, Jesus says, in terms of what we love, when they ask him, what's the first and greatest commandment? He says, love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second is like unto it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this, the, the dangerous part of money is that it can grip our actual soul. And that's, that's when we have, that, that's when we, have the, we are taken by this covetous love for money. And that is spiritually dangerous and disruptive. And it's precisely because it has so much power over our life that God has so much to say about it. The Bible is packed with over 2,000 scriptures about money, tithing, and possessions. That's twice as many Bible verses about money than faith and prayer combined. Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. All right, so this is, again, this is a big deal. Um, What does the Bible say about money? Boink. Well, lots of things. Money can become something that can ruin our life because it can become an idol of sorts. Okay? God's desire for us is to have a life that is not bound in the worship of anything other than himself because anything that we worship owns us. People worship what they most love. A little more to say about that in a little while. Um, From the seduction of success to the lure of lust to the things in the world, this is why all of these things are idols in this world, potentially are idols that will take our heart away from God, and money is on top of the list. We'll look at a verse of Scripture to that effect in a moment. But th- so this is a big deal at, in terms of our, uh, the, our inclination to, to fall in love with money. So given the amount of time and energy that we spend every week in pursuit of spending money and earning money and saving money and arguing over money and stressing over money and all of that, um, it doesn't take too long to realize that God is writing verses of Scripture to keep us from that, that danger. 
okay? Why it, um, so here's what Jesus says about money. No one can serve two masters. And I think it, it, in this context, there are lots of things he could have used to, to draw this comparison. But he is drawing the comparison between the worship of God and the worship of money. No one can serve two masters. Either he, either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And then he says, quite simply, you cannot serve God and money. Okay? Why is it important that we talk about money? Well, there are two good reasons. First, the church talks about money because God talks a lot about money. More than 2,000 scriptures on stewardship, tithing, money, and possessions in the Bible, which is twice as many, as I said before, uh, regarding faith and prayer. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament deal with the topic of biblical stewardship. Biblical stewardship means that everything that I have and everything that I own and everything that comes to me and everything that moves through me belongs to him, and I am to manage it in such a way that is pleasing in God's sight. That's the simple reality of the, of the concept. That everything I do, everything I own, you know, how I work, how I interact with other people, you know, um, whatever work you have to do, says Colossians, do it heartily. Do it from your heart. Do it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not unto people. For um, it is the Lord Christ that you're serving, and we will have the reward, for it is the Lord that we are serving, and we will have from the Lord the reward of the inheritance if we take all the things and we use them in such a way as is pleasing to the Lord and as is consistent with his word. One out of ten verses in the gospel deals with money. I found that an astonishing statement. Didn't have time to really research it fully, but... I believe the source that I got, 16 out of 38 of Jesus' parables deal with money and possessions, okay? And the second reason is that Bible verses are frequently used because there is a direct correlation between the, whole, between the hold that money can have on us and our faith, which is exactly what Jesus just points out. You cannot worship God and money. So I want to take us to Luke chapter 18 this morning, and there are some truths in there and I'll get the ones that I can get in the next uh, couple of minutes here. And we're, we're going to read about this guy who the Bible calls, this is the guy that every human being on earth wants to be. He is the rich, young ruler. He's got it all, right? Rich, young, and he has power, he has influence, right? He's very, so... Um, this guy one day comes to see Jesus. Here's the story. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, that's kind of a, that's kind of a strange statement, but I just don't have the time this morning to actually dig into that. But Jesus is not denying his deity. That's the most important thing. I'll explain a little more, but we just don't have the time this morning. <clears throat> no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, the Lord says to him. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. So, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, 
follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become very sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now somebody just said to themselves, Boy, I am so glad I am not rich. (laughs) You want to know something? You are. We are. We live so far above the world's standard. You have to go to other places to know this. We are so rich and so wealthy. Believe me. I'd love to take you to Port-au-Prince sometime and see what that is really all about. Or when we went to Uganda or when we've been down to Mexico or we've been to other places in the world and see how how people actually live. So so we are rich, okay? And and our materialism. See, one of the things that... How many believe that our our, uh, society is too materialistic? Okay? You know how that gets combated you surrender your money to God. That's how you, that is one of the, if you are looking for ways to defeat materialism in your life so that you're not a a materialist owned by all the things that you possess, this message is really for you. Because this whole thing about tithing and giving and and stewardship and faithfulness to the Lord, this is exactly the way that you keep that thing in check. So that it doesn't just simply run away, so that possessions and stuff doesn't own you but that you own it and manage it as unto the Lord. And you are demonstrating that management by taking that portion. Uh, You know, I would recommend, I I think that the principle of the tithe is a good principle. Again, I'm not going to hammer you over the head with it, but I think that um, it's it's just simply wise, and it, it will allow you to defeat your materialism and show that you are not a materialist. Okay, so when it comes to money, one of two things is inevitable. Will I have time? Yes. This is important. Back to Matthew chapter 6, 24. Jesus says, you cannot serve God in money. Listen to this statement. We will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We will either worship wealth or we will worship with our wealth. We include, and usually when offerings are taken and stuff like that, we'll talk about how that's an extension of the worship. We're singing, we're praising God. But this whole act of financial faithfulness and stewardship and tithing and all of that, this is something that is an act, it is very literally an act of worship. Worship is not always, or even generally, about the things that we often say that it is. Because I'm singing does not necessarily mean I'm worshiping, okay? You can sing And singing is good, and singing certainly can be a way. It's a way to praise and to honor God and to be able to um, extol. All all of that is certainly endorsed by Scripture. But that is not necessarily what worship is. Worship is about obeisance. It is about how I bow or prostrate myself before the Lord. Worship is about what I bow or prostrate myself to. It is about what I submit myself to. That's what worship is really all about. Worship says this, I'll do anything for... Now, whatever answer, whatever comes up to that, uh, as, a, as a, the end of that sentence, that's what we worship. Someone would say, I'll do anything for money. You know people that are like that. I'll do anything for money. You know what? 
They worship money. Someone will say, I'll do anything for pleasure. Okay? Very, very common. Especially in our materialistic culture. That person worships pleasure. Someone will say, I'll do anything for power. Okay? We've got our nation's capital full of people like that. Okay? I'll do anything for success. Right? Then I worship success. Um, can you say, I'll do anything for Jesus? That's really the, that's the big question. I'll do anything for Jesus. You want to talk about Wednesday night? <laughs> How about it, Jewel? Right? See, uh, as I see it, there would be a line of people that said, can I do it once a day? I can only do it once a month? You, you see what I'm saying? Because all of this is opportunity to invest ourselves into the one thing that's going to live when the world is gone. This whole community that God, this family that God is raising and building up. And so this idea of, of worship really, has, really says, I'll do anything for Jesus. I'll sweep the floor, I'll clean the toilets, I'll shovel the parking lot, I'll go help my neighbor, I'll give my money, I'll give my time, I'll do anything for Jesus. And that is exactly the attitude that, that it should be, right? Right? It is. It is absolutely the attitude that should, that should drive everything about our life. How many would say, I'll do anything for the church? Now, that's just an extension of Jesus, and I would, I would encourage you to, uh, to have that kind of attitude. Ooh, man, we're almost back. But there's one other important teaching that is presented in this story that I want to consider. I'm going to go back, and I'm just going to touch on it, and we're going to wrap it up. <coughs> um, <coughs> notice this. Jesus, I'm, gonna, I'm going back just a little bit. This is 1824, chapter 18, 24 through 30. And this story is in all three of the synoptic gospels. Jesus, seeing that he had become seeing that he had become sad, in other words, Jesus, seeing that this rich young ruler, he was crushed when he realized that his that he could not he could not give up what owned him because he was sincere about his question um, to the Lord. <clears throat> Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, "How difficult is it? It is for those who have wealth." Now, again, I think. We all have to acknowledge that's us. To enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not sure whether that means, you know, this kind of... A camel through the eye of a needle. Now, there is an application that I've heard, and I've been to Jerusalem, and there is a place in Jerusalem, there's a, there's a place in the wall, like a, a, an entrance through the wall, but it is very narrow. They call it the eye of the needle. Right, Dennis? Right? And when you go there, you can get through. Right? And a camel can get through, but you know what has to happen? It's gotta, everything's got to come off. Saddle comes off, baggage comes off, anything it's carried comes off. It has to get down on its knees. It has to tighten as much as possible, and, and people have to push to get the camel through the eye of the needle. And the, obvi the obvious lesson in all that, if that's what Jesus re is referring to, because I don't think he's referring to that kind of thing. I don't even know if they had eyes of, in needles at that particular point. But... <clears throat> um, it meant that, like, everything, 
has got to be taken off. And, and that's what he's saying to this guy. Everything's got to be put second. And, and it's kind of like Job, when Job loses all of his stuff, Job's got the right spiritual attitude. He says, naked I came into this world, and naked I will leave it. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all of these things, Job did not sin, nor did he charge God foolishly. He knew that what he had was simply lent to him for a little while. And if God had other plans for it, okay. That's the, that's the mindset. i got to wrap this up. There's, there's, there's something so much deeper right here that I really want to get into, that having to do with this idea of we, what we sang about, it's all about you. To touch on it, <coughs> And prep you up for next week. No, I won't be here next week. Two weeks. I think I may preach like this entire year about money. Is that okay? Uh, um, sure. Thank you, Barb. Barb just gave me permission. So you get a problem? You can go talk to Barb. Anyway. But what, it is so important for us to understand what Jesus came here to do. What the church actually is. And what our job is, because you see, Jesus didn't, Jesus is not a philosopher. Jesus didn't come down to give us moral truths and truths about how to have a good marriage or have a happy home or how to raise a good family. It's in there. It's baked in. But Jesus came here on a mission. Okay? In other words, it's not just about, like, I, I got some teachings for them. He came on a mission, and the mission cost him his last drop of blood. And, he's, and, and if we understand our, what the church is and what being saved is, the day I was saved, I was signed up for the mission. I wasn't just signed up to come to church. Coming to church, that's one thing. It's a good thing. I'm happy that everybody has come to church this morning. It would be not fun at all to be preaching to these empty seats. But it's so much more <clears throat> than that. It is how do I get on board with this kingdom thing and how can I put my money into it and my time into it and my energy into it and my gifts into it and my talents into it? And the standard was set by the Lord himself. You find it in something like Philippians chapter 2. Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I was corresponding with somebody this week, and I had counseled with him and his wife, and, and he, he was receiving it and texted back and said, uh, things are better, and she's happier. And, and, and he says, I had to realize that I'm, I'm there to be more than just a human being that is being guided by logic. I have a role. And I wrote back and I said, I would substitute the word mission for role. Okay? I, had, I now have a mission. If there's anything that motivates a man in this world, okay, it is having a mission, having a purpose. A man without a mission, a man without a purpose is a lost man. Okay? Or, or let's just say like a man that is, is looking for one. And Jesus came into this world to, to launch us into the greatest mission that will ever happen. And we can give everything to it, 
because it's going to keep on going on. And that's really what we are as a, as a church body. We're just like the local chapter. We're the local platoon or something like that, you know. And there's another one up the street, another one down there. You know what I mean? Local. But that, that's how we have to see what it is that God has called us into. But i got to quit because it's now. Come back in two weeks. No, come back next week because Jamie's going to bless you with a great message. But this is, this is so important that we readjust our thinking, not to think like, well, you know, I, I, I got 10 bucks in my party. It's like, it, no, it's just not there. It's like, I want to do every possible thing that I can. I want to be, I want to give as bountifully as I possibly can. And I'm expecting some bountiful outcomes. We already have some. I think we do. I, I really do. That's why I'm always like thanking God for it. Okay, take a moment and pray with me, would you? And <coughs> when we do that, I just want you to, I just want to want you to ask yourself, are you on a mission? Is that what your is is this what your life is about? I know you got a job and you got to work and you got a family and you got all your other stuff. But you're called to a mission in Jesus Christ. The last thing he said was, go into all the world. Preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we are here to do, is to take this gospel, this kingdom movement, and move it forward to roll this rock up the hill. And we are going, we have found success, and we're going to find more. But we have to have this kind of an attitude.